Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Uh, Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter 24. We're looking at the story of Jesus on the Emmaus Road. You may think to yourself, Chad, that's an Easter sermon. And that is true. People like to preach this at Easter. I've preached this at Easter. In full disclosure, I've only preached this passage at Easter. However, when we get to look at it today, we realize that this Easter story is beneficial to us because we don't simply celebrate the resurrection when we wear pastels. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, even on cool days in Lake Jackson, Texas, where it gets us 78 degrees and everyone starts cooking stews and chilies and wearing flannel like myself and Jared. Luke 24, picking up with me in verse 13. Now the same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus. That's why it's called the Emmaus Road and not some other road. Which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and they were arguing, Jesus himself came near and he began to walk along with them. But they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. Uh, the one named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened there in these days? What things? asked Jesus. So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group, they astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that he, they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see him. And he said to them, how foolish and slow you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. They came near the village where they were going and he gave the impression that he was going farther. But they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. They said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us? That very hour they got up and they returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven, and those with them gathered together, who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Each week I have used a quote from um, a book about the eating your way through the gospel of, G of Luke. And as you read through the book, the author points out 
that as you read through Luke's gospel, you see that Jesus is always on his way to a meal, he's sitting at a meal, or he is leaving a meal. We get to experience two pieces of that today. And you may be sitting here as a regular at Grace Bible Church and saying to me or thinking to yourself, because sometimes we don't always say things to pastors, sometimes we do, why would we spend six weeks talking about the meals of Jesus in the New Testament? Because I believe that God has given us common everyday opportunities to share of the life-changing story of the resurrection of Jesus. Every single one of us in this room have been given opportunity by God to talk about all that God has done for us in the death, burial, and resurrection of His Son. Every single one of us, though we overlook it, though we may not even understand it, we are in situations each day where we are interacting with someone and we have gospel opportunity. Where we have a chance to declare this person of Jesus is more than what our society understands him to be. And in an ever-increasing world where the message of Jesus is frowned upon, we get to say words and live lives that come alongside of those words as exclamation points to say, the resurrection of Jesus matters to me. The person of Jesus matters to me. So if we're going to look to this text this morning, we're really looking at the idea of the resurrected Jesus, but it's very much like most of the movies that we see when we go to the theater today. Every movie you see in this world is setting you up for the next movie. It's setting you up for a sequel. Anyone feel that when you go to the movie theater? Anyone feel that when you watch something? It's setting you up for what's next. Television shows, they end on cliffhangers to set you up for what's next. When we see the resurrection of Jesus in Luke's gospel, it's setting us up to see, to hear, and to know that the return of Jesus is coming and that Jesus' return is going to matter for eternity to every person on the planet. Every person who lives and breathes on this planet, on this ball that spins in the middle of the Milky Way, will acknowledge who Jesus is. And God has given us opportunity to declare that Jesus is Lord in the face of that. Because there will be some who will declare that Jesus is Lord for forever on top of forever. And we will say that God is merciful and He is good and He is loving and He is so important to me. And we get to spend eternity in the presence of Jesus as people who have received His mercy, His love, and His goodness. And there will be those who spend eternity separate from Jesus. Who've heard the message of Jesus. Who have heard that Jesus is all of the things that the Bible tells us that he is. Yet those people who do not trust in the person of Christ will spend eternity separate from God in what the Bible calls hell. A place called hell. And look, I'm not that guy. We've been together for almost three years, Grace. And you know that we do not, like, we don't overemphasize or we don't leap and do things with the Bible that it doesn't teach. But the Bible is very clear that there is separation for those who do not experience the resurrected reality of Jesus. And God has placed this onus on us that we would be people who take the message of Jesus to lost people. Now, here's one of our things. Well, we believe in the sovereignty of God. We believe in the, in the providence of God. And we believe, as we read through the Scriptures, that it teaches us about the, the nature of God and how God knows all things and He is active in all things. He's not this separate being. But in knowing those things and in trusting those things 
And in believing those things about the Bible, we do not get to neglect or push away the pieces of the Bible that tell us that we are part of God's redemptive story. And that every one of us who who live and breathe the new life offered to us by Jesus have been called to declare to those that there is new life offered in Jesus. So we look at this text and we see Jesus meeting with these people. And as he meets with these people on the Emmaus Road, there's a situation that they are walking through. And they are, I'm going to give you three words. You feel free to write those down or put those in your phone or scribble them on the back of the person in front of you's neck so you'll remember later. We see dejected, we see inspected, and we see corrected. The first thing we see is that Jesus meets with people on the Emmaus Road, and they are obviously dejected. And the reason that they are dejected, as you notice in the text, is they did not get what they wanted. Have you ever been there? You didn't get what you want, and it was obvious to anyone who would interact with you that you did not get what you want? Have you ever uh, watched a child who did not get their way? Have you ever seen an adult who did not get their way? Have you ever seen an adult adult who's acting like a child who did not get their way? We all know this. We we see it every day. And for them, verse 13, these two were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were discussing everything that had taken place, as the Bible says. And while they were discussing and arguing, Jesus himself came near and he began to walk with them. But they didn't recognize him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you have, that you're having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. Why? Because they didn't get their way. They have an understanding as to who Jesus would be. And it's very much like most of us if we're not careful. Apart from what God teaches us about himself in the Bible, we make Jesus into what we want him to be. Jesus becomes someone who entertains us. Jesus becomes someone who we think about. And he he is shaped by our thoughts as opposed to us being shaped by his when we read Scripture. They are dejected as they consider this idea that they believe that their Messiah was coming. And for them, Messiah coming meant that they get to overcome a nation that is oppressing them in the way that Rome oppressed everyone that they took over. And in the midst of this oppression, they are saying, we don't have this Messiah. We believe Jesus to be the one who would come establish a kingdom on this earth and he would have people reigning at his side and we would be able to reign and rule over the rest of the world in the same way that the rest of the world has ruled over us. You notice that with the tone of the disciples whenever they talk about it. Jesus, who's going to sit at your right? Who's going to sit at your left? They've got this picture in their mind of Jesus on this earthly throne with 12 smaller thrones sitting on each side of them. That's what's in their head. For these other disciples of Jesus, they see themselves in this very picture. We have a Messiah who has come. We have a Messiah who's established reign. We have a Messiah who's established rule. And we are going to go to the various places in the world and we are going to rule over small provinces. We're going to do what everyone has done to us. One of my favorite commentators, he he talks about this passage about Cleopas, and and he points out that he believes that this is the uncle and the aunt of Jesus, based on what we learn from John's gospel. And you get to verse 19, and Jesus is interacting with them. I said, have you not heard everything about this Jesus? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know about this Jesus? 
Do you not know why we would be dejected while we're leaving Jerusalem? And Luke's pretty obvious with us. And, and whenever you read through the Bible, there is definitely, we see literal truth being revealed to us. And we also see Luke using situations to explain something based upon the words that are there. Now, for these people to be on the road to Emmaus leaving Jerusalem means they are leaving the city where God has said he's going to show and display his earthly reign. Or rather, his providential rule over everything. Jerusalem, as we said last week, means city of peace. So there is a symbolic picture that these two people are leaving the place where they believe that God would meet them for the sake of peace. Verse 19, though, Jesus is asking questions. I love when Jesus asks questions because he always knows the answers. What things? Do you just not believe Jesus is messing with them right there? Now, tell me more about this. Tell me what took place. So they tell him everything. That, he's Jesus, that this Jesus of Nazareth was a prophet. This Jesus of Nazareth was the one that was mighty in word and deed. That this Jesus of Nazareth, his body is missing. But there's no explanation for the fact that his body is missing that they can comprehend because honestly, every person who dies stays physically dead. We don't get it. But the ladies went. And when they came back with their crazy story, we sent more people and the crazy story continued. We don't know. We have a promised Messiah is what they think. The scriptures have promised us one. We thought Jesus was him. Just wishing. Uh, J.I. Packer, he's a theologian. He says this. I like that I say he's a theologian as if I would say, this cinematographer I was reading the other day. J.I. Packer says, Optimism is a wish without warrant. Christian hope is a certainty. Guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. So when we're going to look at our Christianity, I, I would just want to ask, are we functioning as people who have an established eternal hope given to us by the person of God displayed to us in Jesus? Or do we have this unique, popular Christianity form of optimism? Are you simply someone who would say that hopefully things will turn out better? Or do we know and do we lean into and do we trust that the better has met with us? We're not waiting on it, but God in Jesus has met us with better. They wanted Jesus to do something that he did not intend to do. And if we're not careful, we do the same thing with the Jesus we find in the Bible. We want him to do things that he never intended to do. We put things on him that are not actually there. They were dejected. Most of the people, when we spend time with people, you are more than likely going to come across someone at some point who is dejected. 
What are you going to do to insert yourself in the face of that dejection that has eternal ramifications? What conversation will you choose? What words will you pick? To say this. Now, I've heard stories of this already around here. I've heard stories in our faith family of some of you having conversations with your neighbors who are going through difficult things. I've heard conversations where we, we've been talking to people who would claim to be believers in the sense that everyone in South Texas claims to be a believer, yet there's nothing in effect about their lives that says they believe. As I point out regularly, everyone likes to tell you they go to church, and when you ask where, they don't know the name of that place. I, I, don't, I don't know how that even works, to not know the name of the church that you claim to go to. Do you know the name of this church? You were here today. Jesus corrects, though. No, or rather, he inspects them. Let's go. 27. Um, correct. 25 through 27. He said to them, How foolish and slow you are to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Stop. They have just said that his death has put an end to everything and Jesus is correcting them and reminding them that this death was the way in which he would display eternal hope. Ravi Zacharias, he says this. He's an apologist. He makes this comment. It is the resurrection of Jesus that makes Good Friday good. That's a bad Friday with no resurrection. He said to them, how foolish you are. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things? Two times in Luke chapter 24, Jesus refers to himself directly as the Messiah. He tells them the whole Bible, in essence, is about him. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that I can turn to Haggai chapter 1, verse 2, and just find a verse that's about Jesus. Like, I'm not going to read that verse and say, that's where Jesus is. It's not a deal where I flip my Bible upside down with a decoder ring and I see the name of Jesus written in some odd script. Better turn that right back up, up or are we a problem? So we don't see the Bible like that. But we do find that it's not like Jesus in every verse, but every plot line of the Bible is taking us to Jesus. All that we see with the Levitical codes, all that we see with the book of Genesis, and all the creation story, all the things that we walk through in Scripture taking us to Jesus. The Psalms that we read are showing us that there is an anointed king offered to us by God. And we would bend our lives and bow our knee before him. Colossians 1.28 is where we find that it is, in him, it is him that we proclaim. All of the the heavy hitter theologians, all the heavy hitter pastors point this out. Tim Keller, D.A. Carson, John Piper, all affirm that it is impossible to read an earlier part of Scripture without the end of in mind with what Jesus says here. Well, Tim Keller, ironically, made a movie reference in a, a something I was reading from him the other day. He points out the movie The Sixth Sense. If you're unfamiliar, that movie was filmed in 1999. So if you've not watched it yet, that's on you. That's on you. You can only watch the movie twice. You watch it through once and, and everything's just moving really quickly. But at the very end, the, the story ends. And when the story ends, you realize that Bruce Willis's character has been dead the entire time. 
But when you watch it the next time, it changes everything. You watch it through a second time and you see all of the places where that piece of the plot makes sense with what's happening. What Jesus is doing here is not the story of a dead man. It's the story of a man who has been alive the entire time. And as we read through the story of the Bible with the resurrection of Jesus in mind, what took place on Calvary in mind, it changes the way that we see and hear the story. They say that you can't. That's what all these guys point out. But the problem is that most of us choose to live like we do. Look, friends, if we read our Bibles... Like, base-level Christianity. I open our Bibles, and all that we take away is that there is ink on paper. Then we have missed the intent that God had laid out for you when He gives you His Word. If we read our Bibles, it should cause us to love Jesus more. If you're a believer in Jesus, the reading through Scriptures should cause you to love Him more. Survey after survey, however, tell us that churches are increasingly full of decreasing populations of people who even read their Bible at all. Once a week, maybe. Twice a week is someone you're going to have teach in Sunday school. If they read it three times a week, you're going to have them preach sometimes. What an odd thing. We've even got it in the name how many of us are in our Bible four to five times a week? Every piece of this converges on Jesus. So are we reading it in that way? This is though where we, the Scriptures begin to inspect us. 28 through 35, we see that with these men. And we see that there are questions that begin to be asked of each and every one of us about the person of Jesus about who Jesus is, and things that we begin to say, we, we find our whatabouts and our yeah buts in passages like this. But what about this? But yeah but this. Our yeah buts a lot of times lead us to this place where we're, yeah but, you know, I get what you're saying, pastor. But, but, if I saw the resurrected Jesus. I know I would tell everyone about him. I don't think he could stop me. I, I would leave and go to picket fence. I would just start going table to table like a weirdo. Chad, I, I would, everywhere I went, I would, if I saw a man who two days ago was dead and caused me to leave the city of people, I, I, would, I wouldn't shut up. But you'll notice that in these verses, Jesus points out to us through these men and his conversation with them what's incredibly important to our understanding of the resurrection. And that happens at this meal. Go here with me to verse 28. They came near the village where they were going. And he gave the impression that he was going for, farther. I don't know what that looks like, but I think that Jesus was pump faking them. Like, and they're like, stop, well, come on in. So they urged him, stay with us because it's almost evening and now the day is almost over. Jesus, it, not Jesus, whoever you are. It's getting dark. It's kind of dangerous here. So come on in, come on in. 
will eat together. So he went in and he stayed with him. He's reclining at the table. Same image we've had as we've looked at these various meals. Feet pointing one direction, more than likely elbow on the table, having this conversation. And he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him but he disappeared from their sight right there. They see him. They, they, this is Jesus. And then he's like a ninja. He's out. Many of you are like, Chad, I had no idea Jesus was a ninja. That's how good ninjas work, people. That was better than you gave me credit for. Uh, stay with us. So, so he's gone. And then they begin to have a conversation about what they've just experienced. And the conversation is not about the fact that there is a man who was dead who is alive. But how they know that. What took place in their hearts when they, they experienced him. They have one of these positive experiences. Notice. Here's what they talk about. Weren't our hearts burning within us? while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. Their full understanding of the resurrection was based in the fact that scripture had taught of a resurrection. And Jesus had spoken of them. He disappeared, but his word remained. Why? Why? We were in Hebrews as a church not too long ago. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And I know our lives are busy, and I know our lives are, are circling around everything that we have to do. But I also know how much... In our society, we have made following Jesus about entertainment as, in, as opposed to mission. So we listen to sermons to be entertained. And, and we muddle our way through this. And I'm talking, not even, I'm talking good preachers, not what you get here. I'm talking every, we listen to podcasts of preachers. And we tune out when this person reads the Bible text, but we listen intently when they begin to break it down with their with their interpretation of it. But Jesus breaks down the scriptures for them. Are we scripture people? As I said, it's in our name that we will be people who hold the Bible high because we believe the Bible reveals to us Jesus, that it's in Him that we proclaim through this word. Jesus appeared to them in the ordinariness of life. His presence and grace made known. And how did he make that presence and grace known? Through teaching the Bible and breaking the bread. But they got to see a man who was alive. Is that not enough? If I saw the resurrection, I get what you're saying about the Bible. But if I just saw the resurrection, Jesus undoes that 
in another parable in Luke the idea that the resurrection is... Um, he undoes the idea that we can separate the resurrection from what the Scriptures tell us of the resurrection. Luke 19, we, we see a parable of a rich man and Lazarus. There was a man, rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, he was covered with sores, was lying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead the dog would come and, and lick his sores. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and he was buried. In the, and being in torment in Hades, he looked up and, and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called him, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham says, Remember that during your life you received your good things, but as, as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here while you were in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us so that those who want to pass over from here to, to you cannot, neither can those from, the, from there cross over to us. Verse 27, it's, it's overwhelming. Father, I, I beg you to send him to my father's house. Because I have five brothers to warn, so they won't also come to this place of torment. I want you to send Lazarus, who's dead, alive again to my family. But Abraham said, well, they've got Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father. If someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets... They will, be persuaded, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Friends, if, if we want our conversations to count, those everyday common conversations, not just at meals, so meals are a pretty great place to have them. If we want them to matter when we talk for my teachers in the room, and I've got a few teachers in the room, with our students who are far from Jesus, then we need to be saturated in Scripture. We need to be immersing ourselves in what God teaches us so that what comes out of our mouths is, is what He has taught us. If we want to have conversations with our co-workers about the hope that they have in Jesus, then we need to base that in what we find in the Scriptures about Jesus. Will we be people who are committed to Scripture? to graciously displaying the truth of scriptures in the lives of those that God has called us to in common everyday situations everyday opportunities given to us by God to live for eternal things for things that matter why? because the God who is in you hear me friends, I love this the God who is in you as a believer in Jesus is the God who was standing in the midst of these men in Luke chapter 24. This man and this woman in Luke 24. And you and I have no less God in us than they had God standing right in front of them. And God has said He's in us, He's he for us, that He speaks to us from His Word, that He affirms us through what Scripture teaches. What if we make our lives count for that? And matter with eternal ramifications in mind. 
Here's what I want to do this morning. I just want to I want you to think through ways that you're setting your life up to have godly, God-honoring time in His Word, God-honoring conversations about His Word, God-shaped lives by His Word. I'm going to challenge you, like, if you're in this room and you're not part of a life group here at Grace, we emphasize those, and the reason that we do so is so that you would have conversations with other believers about what God teaches us from Scripture. We do that so that you would also understand that when we invite someone into our home, if you're part of a life group, you're watching and you're seeing what it looks like to let people come in so that you can see this is not the hardest thing on earth. You can invite people into your home. You can invite people more than into your home, into your lives, so that we can say things about Jesus that matter for eternity. That every time we go to a ball game, and I know how ball games work. You're always at ball games. I'm always at ball games. We play ball all the time. Play ball. But make the most of it. Make the most of that chance God gives us to talk about things that matter. And I'm just as guilty as anyone else of being so focused on what is temporary that I miss what's eternal. I pray God would convict my heart of that. I pray God would convict our hearts of that. Because we're in this together. None of us have this figured out. If, if I'm here because I've got it figured out, you got the wrong guy. But I do believe that Scripture does teach us lives saturated in God's Word look more like Jesus than those that don't. So I want to do this for us this morning. I want to pray for us. I want to invite you to bow your heads. If you never placed your faith in Jesus, there's hope there. But I know your faces. I know most of your faces. And most of you would claim to me, if we had a conversation, even Jesus, how is your life being shaped by what you believe about Him? How is this truth shaping you from what we find in Scripture? So we're going to sing, and I would invite you, before you start singing, to pray some for your lost friends. If you don't know the name, if you don't have a realization as to who your lost friends are, then pray that God would introduce you to them because they're there. God, we thank you for this chance that we've had to be in your word this morning. I pray that this text will call us to what you've called us to. That we will see that you are serious with us about being people of your word who overflow with your word. By what we hear from it, by what you teach us there. Thank you, Lord. I'm at the back corner of the room if you need me.